Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hi and welcome to Freedom of Species, where a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. Before us, you heard Sally with Out of the Pan, um, a really interesting show exploring intersex issues. And yeah, definitely from the things I have learned about those kind of issues, generally when you look at the LGBTIAQ plus community, uh, you tend to find more kind of marginalization and lack of discrimination, lack of awareness. You kind of, the further you go down uh, those those letters and, and intersex people being an, an example of that, not to uh, discount the discrimination against lesbian and gay people, for example, but um, yeah, a long way to come on intersex issues. So make sure you check that out. If you missed that show, check out Out of the Pan via the 3CR website or your favorite podcast app. Uh, today on the show, uh, I am joined by political theorist Ruth Abbey, who has written an article uh, entitled Veganism and Australia's Animal Justice Party in New Political Science, which came out this year. Um, thanks for coming in, Ruth. Uh, maybe you could start off by talking. Uh, yeah, do you want to sort of introduce yourself and talk a bit about your research and how you came to explore uh, veganism and the Animal Justice Party? Sure. Thanks for your interest in my work, Nick. Uh, I first heard about animal parties when I was living in Chicago a couple of years ago and I was chatting with someone that I knew through my work in Cat Rescue. She was a graduate student and she was talking about the Animal Justice Party in the Netherlands and she was planning to write a dissertation about them. And I was absolutely fascinated by the phenomenon and I completely pummeled her with questions, (laughs) many of which, of course, she couldn't answer because animal parties are such a new phenomenon. Um, And so I've been intrigued by them ever since that encounter with her. And then when I returned to Australia in 2019, I was really fascinated to find out about Australia's Animal Justice Party. So it seemed like a natural thing for me to take up as a scholarly inquiry what Australia's Animal Justice Party stands for, what its members think about political processes and practices, and so forth. So that was the genesis of my interest. And part and parcel of doing the research was the discovery that there are something like 20 um, animal parties across the world. So it's really a growing phenomenon And it's something that has developed largely in the 21st century. So it's a very recent phenomenon as well. The oldest animal party is the German one, and that was formed in the 1990s. But all the rest have been have come into being in the current century. Yeah, thanks for that. And I think you're... Both the topic itself is very interesting and and I think very relevant with the Victorian election coming up, um, but also I think speaks to uh, broader issues as well in terms of, yeah, uh, what is the role of veganism in the animal movement more generally? What are the best ways to encourage others to become vegan for those who are already vegan themselves and those kind of broader questions as well? I thought maybe we'd, we'd start off with the with the issue of vegans and political engagement. So um, I, I guess a lot of vegans see being vegan and as itself as their form of activism. Um, yeah, you mentioned your article, Richard White, um, describes animal-centred veganism as a form of activism. So I guess that's veganism for animals and, and I guess perhaps extending beyond diet and thinking about clothing and, and uh, shampoos and all kinds of different products. Uh, and another survey you cited from uh, Colty or Colt um, amongst Swiss vegan 
Uh, Swiss Vegan said, um, yeah, involvement with a political party is a least practice political activity. And I guess I'm just wondering your views as a political theorist about whether you think uh, vegans perhaps should be or whether that'd be a good thing for more vegans to be involved in politics, whether it was through animal parties or, or other ones, because it seems like it's it's not so common. I think it's a helpful thing to point out first that people adopt veganism for a number of motives. So not all vegans are animal advocates. Not all vegans are drawn to that sort of practice because of concerns with animal well-being and animal cruelty. There are also health concerns that motivate some people to be vegan. There are environmental concerns that motivate some people to go vegan. There are questions about global food supply and the incredible inefficiency of growing food to then feed to animals that then feed humans that motivate others. So there's a range of motivations for veganism. They can, of course, be mutually reinforcing. Um, None of those things rule out other motivations. You can care about health and climate and global food supply and animals, of course. And you can come to veganism for one set of motives and then develop others along the way. So my focus in the article was what is called animal-centered veganism, that is people who come to that practice because of their concern with animal well-being and animal cruelty. But that's very closely connected, of course, with issues about climate change, because just as climate change is having a huge impact on the way human beings live, so it's having a massive impact on the way many animals live and so they have to be considered as stakeholders or subjects of concern as we think about climate action. So the paradox as I see it for political parties that care about animal well-being and animal issues is that some people think that veganism is a necessary part of that sort of animal advocacy that you can't care about animal well-being while continuing to consume animal bodies and animal products. And there's a level of consistency and coherence to that position. And indeed, many animal advocates, whatever form their advocacy takes, be it political parties or grassroots movements, whatever form, um, non-governmental organisations, civil society organisations, many of those come to practice a vegan lifestyle because they see it as being coherent and consistent with their concerns about animal well-being. But the challenge for a political party that advocates for animals and their well-being and to reduce cruelty and to promote kindness for, for them is that veganism although it's on the rise, is still really a minority phenomenon around the world. Uh, Very few, you know, we're looking at single digits, the number of people who identify as vegans. It's a bit larger if you consider vegetarians, um, but even then it's still a minority phenomenon. So if you're a political party that wants to maximise your power in parliament to make legislation that is kinder to, more considerate of animals, you have to win support from an electorate that is not largely vegan. And indeed, um, for all sorts of largely bogus reasons, I think, veganism has gets a lot of bad press. It has quite a bad image out there in the wider society. And so not only do you have to try and promote veganism, you have to overcome the obstacles um, and phobia that some people have about veganism. So it's a real paradox for a political party that is trying to maximize and mobilize electoral support so that it can help animals to focus too heavily on veganism because that can alienate potential supporters. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, I think uh, a few things I want to say. And I think, yeah, I think that, um, I guess, being cautious about the, the rise of veganism, which uh, I think was perhaps uh, in my PhD thesis about the animal movement, I think was going to be a chapter title and then realised perhaps that was overstating the case a bit in terms of it's more being, I guess, the mainstreaming of veganism, more awareness of veganism, more labelling of vegan products. But, yeah, throughout the thesis and, and even since then, I haven't really seen any reliable data to say there has been a significant increase 
increase in the number of vegans that is still very small. I think you put it about 2% in, mm. in Australia. And that's generally not just from Australia, but other other Western countries, which I focus on my thesis as well. It was very small, 1% or 2%. Um, yeah, very small. And again, I haven't seen any data. There's a lot of anecdotal things of it seems like it's becoming more accepted, more vegan products. But I've, I'm yet to see any data which says there's a, yeah, any it really increase at all in the number of vegans, let alone a significant increase. Um, and yeah, I think that's an interesting, um, yeah, interesting sort of thing to deal with within the vegan movement where at least in some circles, I guess the, the perspective is, you know, go vegan. Once you've done that, then you can do other things as kind of like the minimum kind of thing. And, and as you mentioned, that's sort of difficult for a political party if they want to make any kind of headway in a country where 2% of Australians are vegan. Uh, I'll go I, think, ahead, yeah. I think what there definitely is has been a rise of vegan products that are available in the marketplace. In supermarkets, as you say, restaurants and so forth, there are many more vegan options. For, so for those who want to eat vegan, it's easier now, I think, than it has ever been. Um, but just because you buy a vegan product or have a meal at a vegan restaurant doesn't mean that you're vegan. Um, it may start you on the road to that journey, but I think that what a lot of the stats are measuring is the increase in an uptake of vegan products or vegan consumption, which is not the same as being a vegan. And I would just point out here that being a vegan itself is a complicated thing. Um, some people would want to focus on what you eat, um, and would think that being a vegan rules out not just the consumption of animals, but also uh, milk from the dairy industry, cheese, cream, those sorts of products. Some vegans um, oppose the consumption of honey because they think that any animal product should be ruled out by vegans. Uh, but then there's also the question about how you relate to other animal products. So you mentioned um, products that might have been tested on animals. Presumably some vegans would rule those out. Do you wear leather? Many vegans would rule that out. And and it also um, applies to your forms of recreation. So some vegans would not go to zoos. Some vegans would not go to marine parks. So once you start to take a step down that form of animal-centered veganism that is motivated by a concern for animal well-being and an attempt to reduce animal cruelty it can really start an overhaul of many of your ordinary daily practices. So there's a lot to rethink if you do decide to become a vegan. And it's really a very large, multifaceted project, yeah. I think. So there's room for different sorts of vegans, different levels of veganism, different definitions and interpretations of veganism. And that comes out in the scholarly literature on veganism. Yeah, too. absolutely. And I, I guess because of those kind of discrepancy that you, that you mentioned, um, I guess both from vegans, but also those who want to distance themselves from veganism or from that more animal-centered veganism, the term plant-based diet mm. kind of comes in. And I, I have a, that not just from vegans, but also those advocating a plant-based diet for health and those kind of things arguing like, we don't have the politics. It is purely based on health. And so we don't want that label of vegan, which uh, generally... Uh, certainly for me definitely includes all those things you mentioned in terms of avoiding um, zoos and, and circuses that have non-human animals and, and all those kind of things as well. Um, yeah, and I, I guess I wanted to just briefly mention that... Um, yeah, I guess just thinking about this sort of anecdotally is um, at my university, there's been a, a food truck there this semester that has vegan in big letters on, on the food truck. And yeah, I think... Uh, I, I, it was quite it's quite popular lots of people eating there and I was like I know the data on quite a small number of vegans I was thinking probably a lot of people aren't vegan but maybe there's a more positive view towards veganism or even eating more vegan food for the environment for you know to cut back on your carbon footprint and those kind of things so yeah I think probably what we more have witnessed is again growing awareness of vegan veganism and as, as you mentioned maybe um, viewing uh, or consuming more vegan products being viewed in a positive way which is why the, the businesses no longer have to sort of have vegan in tiny letters so the vegans kind of manage to see it but other people kind of miss it of, of 
of you can have like a vegan thing really um, front and centre and it's not necessarily going to put people off and in fact it might even get a few more people in even who are not vegan because again like environmental impact and, and those kind of questions as well. Yes. And I think for people who promote veganism for political and ethical reasons, that is probably something to be welcomed. Any steps along that road are good steps. Anything that builds up the resistance that people might have to trying something that's vegan, a lot of people perceive that if it's plant-based or if it's lacking meat, it's not going to be satisfying, it's not going to be tasty. And I think that the more vegan products people eat, they'll realise that that it's not the case, that you can have a really delicious and satisfying experience by eating vegan products. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. And yeah, we better take a song and then we'll get into some of the, the nitty gritty, I guess, in terms of like where, what is the role of veganism in the Animal Justice Party? Um, so the opening song, um, which Ruth has chosen, is True Colours by Cindy Lauper. Any, anything you want to say about the song before we get into it? So this song has been very meaningful for me in the time I've spent as um, a volunteer with the Cat Rescue Group that I was very intensively involved with for almost a decade when I lived in the US. And anyone working in animal advocacy of any sort, particularly if it has a rescue focus, will encounter animals that are distressed, who have been displaced, who are scared, who are uncertain. And the process of teaching those animals to trust again, to love again, and to enjoy their lives again is a very rewarding one, I found. And so whenever I would go through that with cats, the Cindy Lauper tune was a great anthem for me because I could see their true colours and then with time they would come to show those true colours again to other people. Great. So we'll hear the song and then on the other side, we'll talk to Ruth Abbey a little bit more, uh, getting into the role of veganism in the Animal Justice Party. You with the sad heart. Don't be discouraged, don't worry, realize it's hard to take courage in a world full of people. You can lose But I see your true colors shining through I see your true colors And that's why I love you So don't be afraid To let them show your true colors True colors True. 
Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday, the 10th of November, at Arnie Elmer Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Munwaro, 546 to 550 High Street, Preston. There will be a panel discussion on First Nations incarceration and justice, some live music with Amos Roach, and free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday, the 10th of November, Arnie Elmer Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Munwaro. 6 to 8 p.m. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio. We are talking to political theorist Ruth Abbey about the role of veganism in the Australian Animal Justice Party. And, yeah, if actually any listeners would like to text in with any questions, comments, etc., um, you can text in on 0488 809 855 to give that number one more time. Um, get a pen, a paper, your phone, whatever, 0488 eight zero nine eight five five and we can um, engage with any any questions on the air as we go um but yeah i did want to say as well we, we definitely have had the animal justice party on the show uh quite a few times to talk about these kind of issues uh, as well as other parties as well and i believe we've got a discussion uh with someone from the greens coming up on the show as well um different political parties but i thought it'd be interesting to do something t- different today and i guess get a more of an academic perspective on on this question of veganism the animal justice party so i'll hand it over to ruth to uh yeah i guess get into some of that in terms of uh at the role of animal justice party in terms of the the policies um yeah in terms of their documents in terms of uh policy towards members being vegan all those kind of questions so yeah what what did you find in terms of the place of veganism in the party yeah so part of my research included a study of the key documents of the animal justice party their manifesto and so forth where they lay out very clearly what they stand for and all of that material is available on the party website so it's it's very easily accessible and it was interesting to me that um, there was not a great deal about veganism their policy is that you can be a party member without being a vegan Um, and they tended to talk mainly about plant-based eating rather than veganism So there was not a great deal of attention given to the V word, if you like. And again, that's probably a good move for a political party trying to maximize support, given, as we were saying, the low numbers of um, vegans in Australia and in other Western countries, but also some of the bad press that veganism has gotten over the years. However, there is a requirement in the party that if you take on a position of leadership in any way, if you run for elected offices or anything like that, then you are expected to practice veganism. And so you lead through that approach. One of the things that I did in my research was interview party members. I spent some time interviewing 20 members of the Animal Justice Party, just trying to get a better handle on what their motivation for joining the party and supporting it was. And one of the questions that came up in in the interview was, did they consider themselves to be vegan? What did they mean by veganism? And what was their view of members who didn't practice veganism? And one of the very interesting findings was that um, the overwhelming majority of the people that I interviewed did consider themselves to be vegan, whatever um, meaning they're attached to that. Um, And 
many of them, most of them, had been either vegan or vegetarian before they joined the party. So it was not the case that joining the party then made them become vegans. It was that they were vegans or vegetarians looking for a political party that they could throw their support behind. So that was a very interesting finding. But not all of the people I interviewed were vegans. And so it was interesting to hear how they negotiated that and what they felt about that. And they very much felt that there was certainly still room for them within the party, that they had um, concerns about animal welfare across the full gamut of issues that the AJP covers. Um, And once you start looking at the amount of animal suffering and animal exploitation in our society, you realize that there is a very wide range of issues that animal advocates need to concern themselves with. So it's a very broad church. People come to it for all sorts of different reasons and motivated by concerns with different forms of animal suffering and animal exploitation. And the vegan members of the party took a very inclusive and accommodating approach to non-vegan party members. And that was intri- that was really intriguing. Uh, those members who were themselves vegan took a very compassionate and supportive approach to people who were not yet vegan or might not ever become vegan. One of the things that continued to surface in the way they spoke about it was that veganism is a journey and people are at different points along that journey. And of course, those people themselves hadn't always been vegan. So they thought about their own journey towards veganism or vegetarianism. So contrary to some of what you encounter in the academic literature about vegans, which is that they can be self-righteous, very rigid, very demanding, very intolerant of others, these Animal Justice Party members did not evince that sort of attitude at all. As I said, they were very inclusive, very accepting, very welcoming. Their view was anyone who wants to do anything to improve the condition of animals in our society is welcome on board. Yeah, and I wanted to get into some of those sort of tactical issues and, yeah, sort of the pros and cons of different approaches towards veganism um, and that kind of question. I guess there are a couple of quotes which uh, from your article I think really highlighted this um, tension or at least this issue is one of the respondents, one of the Animal Justice Party members said, I am a vegan and I wanted to vote for a vegan party. Mm. On the other hand, um, Mark Pearson, um, an Animal Justice Party representative in Parliament, said the main constitu- constituents is that the yeah, that most of the people in the animal justice party are not vegans or vegetarians we did not get elected by the vegan community and so i guess there is that central tension of are they just an animal party and as a result of that a lot of people kind of happen to be vegan or is it actually about trying to at least amongst other things trying to push things forward in in terms of uh veganism i guess I think it's both. Yeah. Um, Certainly from what I learned from the people that I interviewed, they very much see it as a process. So as I said, people can join the party for whatever reason and out of whatever motives they have. And then through encountering other people in the party, through learning more about veganism and um, a more inclusive and welcoming approach to it, those people were hopeful that that other party members would over time um, join them on that, that journey towards veganism. But as I said, there was not um, an intolerant or hardline approach taken at all. It was just very interesting to hear the way these party members spoke about non-vegan party members and non-vegans in their own life as well. I mean, they were all very um, cognizant that they live surrounded by non-vegan and non-vegetarian people. Many of the people that they love and interact with and care about and respect are non-vegan and non-vegetarian. So that same sort of ethos was carried over towards other party members. Absolutely, yeah. And I I think in terms of that place of veganism, it's going to be different depending on the particular advocacy that's being done. Uh, Certainly in uh, from my experience, back in Perth when I was quite involved in animal activism uh, our, our organisation very much focused on uh, vegan outreach we weren't the group called vegan outreach but it was basically what we were doing, encouraging other individuals to become vegan and we, we definitely had similar discussions within that organisation as well because it was a matter of we, we at the start we didn't have any policy that those, a lot of the work we did beyond kind of events but just more sort of you know, month to month was often just 
on stalls promoting veganism at universities and that kind of thing. And we, we didn't have any policy that people on that stall had to be vegan. Um, it was, I guess, most people were because, again, that's what we were doing, encouraging. But we did get vegetarians and that kind of thing, and it kind of came up as a bit of an issue of, well, we've got people coming up to the stall and people are going, oh, so you're all vegan, right? Then other people, no, I'm not vegan, I'm vegetarian or whatever, and it kind of felt like it was maybe like uh, diluting our message, I guess, or, or not kind of consistent, which is what kind of came across in the party. And then we, we did have that policy uh, at some point of if you're on this stall, promoting veganism you have to be vegan which i do think does make some sense in that context it probably makes less sense in terms of a political party but having said that before we did have that policy and i guess this is what the animal justice party members were getting at we did have a lot of people on the stall who were not vegan but were kind of on on that journey, I guess. And just from being in the stall and talking to the other people who were vegan, I remember going to someone who was a vegetarian and pointing out everything vegan in the vending machine there at the university and that, and that kind of thing. And, and people later going vegan, um, I, I guess, by having that policy, I guess one, we could have been written off as that overly militant or self-righteous, those kind of things you said. Um, but two, we did kind of lose those opportunities for, I guess, not just to outreach to the community, but also to outreach people actually on our stores themselves, which I thought there was a lot of. So, uh, yeah, again, I, I think it, it did. I'm, I'm still kind of a bit undecided on that, but I think it, it did make more sense in that context than a political party. But I definitely get what, what you're saying and the Animal Justice Party members were getting at in terms of bringing people in and encourage them to always go further. I think there are two points to make in response to what you've just said. One is a small point and one is a larger one. The small point is that a lot of vegans started as vegetarians. Mm -hmm. So it's not like there's a a strict (laughs) binary between Mm -hmm. them. Um, What the, the what often happens from what I've read in the literature is, for, and from other academics interviewing vegans is that people start as vegetarians and then the more they learn about um, the dairy industry, for example, the more they find that they can't um, be complicit in, in that set of practices and that set of structures either and so they move into veganism it is a a kind of logical or consistent shift for them so there's no strong um, line demarcating the two I would think and the bigger question is I guess um, whether you make rules about people being vegan or not uh, has a lot to do with what you think the best mechanisms for social change are And if you think that social change is brought about by rules and policing, um, that's one view. If you think that genuine social change happens when people happily and freely embrace new practices without the fear of being policed, without the fear that they're breaking rules, without the idea that someone's looking over their shoulder... Um, those that social change might get great attraction, that might stick more because people have really freely and fully embraced it. And one of the things I would say is that people tend to associate uh, veganism with loss. People think about all the things that you can't eat and that you can't do. And there's a phrase in the literature called the vegan killjoy. <laughs> you know, vegan veganism spoils everything. Whereas a different approach to veganism would focus on all the things that you can do while being a vegan and all the good things that you're doing in the world and all the harm that you're not doing. And so you can come to this set of practices from a very joyful, affirming position. And my own view on social change is that that sort of approach is likely to bring about more lasting social change rather than one that's about policing and rules and who's watching and have you made a misstep. Because veganism can be, um, as I was saying, a very wide-ranging and multifaceted set of personal practices. And so it's probably better to think about it as the art of the possible rather than a council of perfection. Yeah, and I think it was a, a well-made argument for that position in your in your paper. And yeah, I, I guess I, I think back just on a bit of a side note to when I went vegetarian, which I, I did kind of have that process, which you're talking about, that transition um, in, I'm trying to even think what it would have been, maybe 2002 or something like that. But yeah, at that time, a lot of the, the literature, even from animal groups like um, PETA, people, the ethical treatment of animals, that kind of thing was all vegetarian, vegetarian, vegetarian 
vegetarian, I guess because veganism was seen as off-putting. And I guess I'm just wondering now that we, we do see a lot of um, vegan labelling rather than vegetarian labelling, even in products, restaurants, uh, definitely like literature from organisations, including Peter, is much more vegan-focused nowadays than vegetarian. I, I just uh, speculate or hypothesise about whether some people might be skipping that step of vegetarian or maybe more people mm-hmm. might be now. But again, that's purely purely a hypothesis at, at this point. But I, I think there's probably that maybe at least more likely, I guess, in the in the current situation when, yeah, again, back in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. veganism was much more uh, hidden, hidden from view, I guess, yeah. Yeah, that's possible. I haven't mm-hmm. seen any data on that, but mm-hmm. that's certainly possible. And, of course, it makes sense if you're a company to label things vegan rather than vegetarians because all vegetarians can eat a product that's vegan, not all vegans can eat a product that's vegetarian. Yeah. So there's an efficiency payoff. Yeah, I, I think some, using some restaurants label. are kind of thinking the same thing as well i think of like yeah we'll do a vegan menu rather than a vegetarian one because as you say the vegans uh, the vegetarians can eat the the vegan stuff um we better go to another song i think we'll, we'll dig a bit more into the, the, the i guess the tactical side of things and um i guess advocating for veganism or animals more generally in a society where most people are not vegan to come to the, those tactical questions but uh we're going to take another song um also chosen by ruth so this is old stand by you uh by the pretenders so yeah, anything you'd like to say about the song before we get into it? Well, again, this is a beautiful song and one that has been picked up by a number of animal advocacy groups to represent uh, the need for human beings to speak up on behalf of animals. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I do want to start on a side note as well in terms of my tradition, my tradition, my transition and, and thinking about veganism, definitely music was quite big in that. Um, quite different music for me is more kind of punk rock music, but whatever the, whatever music you're into, I think having that kind of emotional connection can be really important in terms of um, thinking more deeply about issues. Oh, why you look so sad Tears are in your eyes Come on and come to me now But don't be ashamed to cry Let me see you through Cause I've seen the dark side too When the night falls on you You don't know what to do Nothing you confess Could make me love you less I'll stand by you I'll stand by you Won't let nobody hurt you I'll stand by you So If you're mad, get mad Don't hold it on 
Black Spark is an independent, volunteer-run bookshop, gallery, music and community space in Northcote, Nam, dedicated to creativity, learning and liberation. Black Spark is a space for the entire community, free of charge, hosting art, music and literary events. To keep Black Spark free, open and accessible to everybody, we need your help. We are calling for your support for our rent fundraiser to keep our doors open into the coming years. With your support, we can continue to host book and exhibition launches, art auctions, fundraisers, music gigs and facilitate opportunities and growth for emerging artists and grassroots communities. For more information, visit Keep Black Spark Alive on chuffed.com or check out Black Spark on all the socials. Keep Black Spark Alive! A 3CR supporter. Stay locked to 3CR. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Radical Radio. We are talking to Ruth Abbey about the role of veganism in the Animal Justice Party. And, yeah, nearing the end of the discussion. But, um, yeah, one issue, and we definitely, even though we're an animal-focused show, we're very interested in intersections between animals and other issues. So I know you've found some, I guess, intersections between animals uh, and or veganism and, and gender. So, yeah, I'll hand it over to you, Ruth. Yes, one of the interesting things to be said about veganism is that it tends to be associated more with women than with men. Um, more women are vegans than are men, more women feel comfortable being vegans than do men. And this is an interesting challenge again for a political party that um, is encouraging but not requiring veganism. How do you overcome some of those perceived barriers that men might face towards veganism? And of course, what's underpinning this is the the construction of masculinity that associates uh, it with meat eating. Uh, So that's a whole other fascinating topic of exploration and academic study when it comes to the question of veganism. But it's also a very interesting area in terms of the Animal Justice Party itself, because one of the other things that I've written about in the party is that it is a predominantly female organization. Between 70 and 80% of the members of the Animal Justice Party are women. And that um, aligns with the general patterns of animal advocacy within Australia, in other countries, and of course, across the history of Western societies, that women have tended to be animal advocates more than men. This isn't always reflected at the leadership level of animal organizations. Some people have observed that women might make up the bulk of the membership, but if there are positions of power or glory or that are paid positions, they they tend to be taken by men. But a lot of the grassroots work in animal advocacy has been done by women. And so that, as I said, that's another area of research that I have looked into. And it's something that I asked the people that I interviewed from the Animal Justice Party about their experience and views of gender when it came to animal advocacy. So that's a whole other sort of thread, but it's one that dovetails very neatly with the question about veganism because of the social perception that it's easier for women to consider veganism than it is for men. It's more of a challenge to the construction of masculinity to um, not consume animal products. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I guess we can think about the way in which uh, like veganism is more consistent with gender norms for women around caring and empathy and those kind of things and much less consistent with you know dominant male gender norms around dominance and, and those kind of issues as well. So it kind of makes sense, and I think it's definitely something that we need to be aware of in animal movements unless, yeah, otherwise we can kind of replicate those uh, gender inequalities in broader society. I remember going to a animal rights and feminism workshop and then afterwards all the women washing the dishes. Not that there was a formal thing, but I guess just even though as much as we were trying to critically engage with them, we can kind of fall back on those uh, traditional gender norms unless we kind of make an effort to um, avoid them. And I guess also in our society more generally, you know, women tend to a more a lot of the less acknowledged, less well-paid work in terms of majority of the child care, uh, household labour, those kind of things. And I guess some 
same within non-profits as well of not necessarily being the public face and being the leader, but doing the behind the scenes work, more grassroots work that gets less acknowledgement as well. So definitely, um, yeah, lots to consider there in, in terms of gender. And that is one of the themes that comes up in the academic literature on women's participation in animal advocacy work. Some people interpret it as an extension of what can be called the ethic of care, mm-hmm. as an extension of the fact that women do the overwhelming amount of caring work in our society, as you were saying, be that paid caring work or unpaid caring work. And so women's role in animal advocacy is just seen as an extension of that ethic of care. And there's a whole school of feminist thought in um, the area of animal rights or animal welfare that uh, that looks at the extension of the ethic of care to animals. And that's a really fascinating vein within academic scholarship on the area of animal ethics, I think. And it's something that resonated in my interviews with the members of the Animal Justice Party when I was asking them about their motivations for the sort of work they do for supporting the party. A lot of the ways in which they spoke about this was through care for animals. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess to as we kind of near the end, I, I'm just going to give a few thoughts. There might be a question in there somewhere, but maybe I'll give, um, I guess, some final thoughts of that idea of the Animal Justice Party operating in a society that is predominantly non-vegan and what the role of veganism can be and, and those kind of issues. So, um, yeah, me, myself, I've kind of gone back and forth on the Animal Justice Party and, and we're definitely not um, encouraging you know people to vote any particular way. The election coming up, have a look at all the parties and... And those you connect with the most put the highest and those who you connect with the least put the lowest. Um, but I guess just from my own um, personal point of view, I guess I came to, I guess, be interested in the Animal Justice Party because um, some, of, particularly some of my more recent research and thinking around the um, animal issue, um, not so much the, the research you cited in your article, which is coming out of my PhD thesis, but more recent stuff I'm working on is looking at not rejecting individual veganism, but thinking about how we can move in that direction at the more structural level and the political level, not just through individual change. Um, And so I guess some of the work I've been looking at is, could we, for example, in terms of the environmental argument for veganism, could we have people who are not vegan themselves, but support that shift towards a plant-based food system, even on environmental grounds, similar to the way in which, you know, someone who owns a car, for example, I think can be part of the shift towards a more uh, sustainable transport system that has more space for cycling and, and pedestrians and public transport, those kind of things. So I guess the idea of, you know, rather than or as well as focus on individual change, thinking about like how can we kind of tip that balance uh, uh, yeah, away from fossil fuels towards uh, other sources of power, but also away from animal agriculture, which is more environmentally damaging towards plant-based agriculture and thinking about the ways in which we can get a broad number of people to do that. So I guess my um, my kind of hypothesis when it comes to parties like the Animal Justice Party is in the, I guess, as far as I know, they're the only party doing that kind of work. As you mentioned, it's not maybe central to their their their, their party, but it is in there in terms of plant-based diets and the importance of that kind of thing. Um, and if any other parties are, you know, do have policies along those lines, definitely get in touch. Our email is freedomofspecies at gmail.com. We're more than happy to engage with other parties if there are other pe- other parties but um, who are kind of pushing things in that direction. But I guess I, I kind of became interested in them because I didn't really see any other parties doing that work of talking about that shift towards plant-based uh, food systems and Animal Justice Party definitely have done some work in that space but on on the last election it was more a focus on live animal export which i you know, understand politically i believe 70 to 80 percent of australians oppose live export as we mentioned there's um there's a very small number of vegans but i i guess my um my recent thinking is we don't necessarily have to go from okay we can't have only vegans doing this therefore we don't engage with this shift towards plant-based food system we go more for welfare reforms talking about more humane slaughter bigger cages etc but could we have um could they have fairly broad support 
for policies that don't mandate individual veganism, but talk about that that shift towards I don't know more vegan options within public within hospitals within schools or all those kind of things. So yeah, I guess that's kind of another another recent way I've thought. But I, yeah, any any of your thoughts I guess to finish up with about um, again that that situation of um, yeah being a political party in a predominantly non-vegan society. Well, I think the magnitude of the change that we are facing is so great that really any and every form of action towards improvement is needed. So I don't think we can afford to take a pure... I'm just speaking for myself here. I'm not a member of the AJP, so I'm not speaking on behalf of the Animal Justice Party. Um, but So I think we can't afford to take a purist line on these things. And yes, you're right. There can't just be an emphasis on individual action. There are questions about structural power um, we need to change the way companies behave we need to change their incentives and so forth but the way to do that or one way to do that is through political power so I can imagine that members of the Animal Justice Party feel that this is one part of the way in which they can um, advocate for animals and for climate and for human health as well by joining the party. For many of them, it wasn't their only form of activism. They weren't, <laughs> I would use the image, putting all the eggs in the same basket, but that would be an unfortunate <laughs> one. This wasn't their only form of political activism. So it was part and parcel of a repertoire for them. And I fully understand that approach because the repertoire is what we are all going to need to get the sort of social change that we need for climate improvement and reducing animal suffering, as I said, improving human life as well, human health. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's sort of going back to that central question of a vegan party versus, you know, a party not for vegans. I, I guess I kind of felt like, um, yeah, the, I guess I, I, in your view and things more like as a political theorist, I'm kind of thinking almost like philosophically of like there's other parties that also oppose live export and the only difference being it might be a greater focus for them. And I guess I'm thinking about like broader, broader changes for animals. So in a way that focus on live export might, um, yeah, bring in some other people, but might also, um, alienate i guess some some vegans definitely not all some some vegans are really into that campaign but i guess people like myself i'm like i'd be more interested in talking about again moving away from animal agriculture not not just reforming it but it, mm. it's, it's a huge huge discussion anyway mm. i really appreciate your thoughts on it um we are getting towards the end maybe do you have any anything you'd like to promote in terms of do you have a yeah website in terms of people accessing the article any social media anything like that um yeah and any radio interviews you'd like to promote yeah anything that you'd like in terms of listeners who'd like to hear more hear more from you because i feel like we could say a lot more but this is about almost all we'll have time for today Yes, um, I suppose just Google me and you can find out more about my work if you're interested in that. Yeah, I don't have a, a dedicated website. I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have a strong social media presence by choice, shall we say. Yeah, so. yeah, no, I definitely think that's a reasonable choice to make. And I, I did want to brief, and maybe I'll, I'll put some links into some of these, but I really enjoyed your interview discussing the movie Sunday Too Far Away on the Seeing Green podcast. Um, and yeah, I really liked the way in which uh, I, I haven't seen the movie, but it was very focused on people shearing sheep. And I really liked the way that you brought in the the animal, animal perspective and, and thinking about the ways in which a lot of these sort of myths and narratives sort of leave out the animals and purely focus on humans. So some really interesting uh, points there. Um, and you've also uh, done some, yeah, lots of work on philosophy and, and spoken about the ways in which you've looked at different philosophers, but the way in which philosophy tends to be very um, anthropocentric as well. So, yeah, I really, um, yeah, really enjoyed those interviews. Again, maybe I'll, I'll put links to them in the show notes of the podcast version. You can check out all of our podcasts um, at 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species as well as on a bunch of podcast apps as well 
Um, and I did want to also briefly just mention, uh, there's something I meant to mention before. I don't think I mentioned it yet, but there was a recent special on 3CR Homeless in Hotels. So during the pandemic or the start of the pandemic, earlier on in the pandemic, they put all the homeless people in hotels. And I kind of knew that as a headline, but this actually looks really into in-depth in that three-part series, hearing from people who are in the hotels as well as, um, yeah, workers in those in, in those um, providing services as well. So you can find that if you're interested in that, I, I really recommend the the series um, at homelessinhotels.net. Um, and you can also search Homeless in Hotels on your favorite podcast app. Stay tuned for rotations to hear, um, yeah, different music each week from a range of 3CR presenters. And, yeah, thanks for joining me, Ruth. We're going to finish up with another song that you've chosen. This is Gold by Spandor Ballet. You can uh, uh, correct my pronunciation if you like on that, but uh, anything you want to say about the song before we take off? The great thing about this song is the it, the way it encourages you to believe that you are indestructible. And I think that for anyone involved in animal advocacy, keeping on keeping on is really challenging. People talk a lot about compassion fatigue that animal advocates experience. In my own case, it's not compassion fatigue, it's cruelty fatigue. And so how you keep on just keeping on every day, it's a real challenge when you care about animal suffering and animal well-being. So this song is um, encouragement to keep on going because you're indestructible. Great. Thanks so much for joining me. We'll be back next Sunday, 1 till 2 p.m. Thank you for coming home. Sorry that the chairs are warm. I left them here, I could have sworn. These are my salad days, slowly being eaten away. Just another play for today. Oh, but I'm proud of you, but I'm proud. Nothing left to make me feel small Luck has left me standing so
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.